0: the heartbeat of ark throughout these last 13 years really came from a discussion with our founder Billy Hornsby and out of that conversation began a few other conversations about the idea of what would it be like if we came alongside of couples and and those who have a dream to change the world our goal at the ark is to plant 2000 churches
1: i see a church so attractive so refreshing that the buildings struggle to contain the increase. I see a church where the people have found a relationship with God instead of religion, where living for God is no longer an obligation, it's a heartfelt desire, where every person's experiencing the kind of fulfillment that only God can give. I see a church where God uses ordinary people, serving the people of our city so that in turn, the city opens their
0: hearts to God. I'm Chris Hodges, pastor of Church of the Highlands, Rick Beasley and I were the first two churches planted with ARC just over 14 years ago.
1: New Life Church, we are church plant number one, along with Church of the Highlands. The Bayside Community Church in Sarasota, Florida. We are ARC church plant number five. We are number
0: six. And we are ARC plant number 34. Number 111. ARC plant 175. We are ARC church plant number 175. Six. We are Ark Church Plant 189. 243
1: people make decisions for Christ. 51 people.
0: In 66 people. 716 people make decisions to follow Christ.
1: Mi nombre es Daniel Escobar y la red en la iglesia número
0: 302. ARC Church Plant number 384. 402. ARC Church Plant number 404. ARC Church Plant number... 416! 447. Church plant number 488. We are Ark number 500. 84 people, 131 people, At 864 people, 1820 people, Where we have had over 350 people, 17 people, 98 people, 320 people, 32 people make
1: decisions for Jesus Christ, 64, 80 people, 20 people come to know Jesus Christ, 155 people,
0: 332 people,
1: 7,451 people make a decision to follow Christ, 77,511 people
0: had made decisions for Christ.
1: 63,619 decisions for Christ.
0: We can't reach all the nations unless we reach the cities. And we can't reach the cities unless we reach the people in the cities. And we can't reach the people in the cities unless we have life-giving churches. And we can't plant life-giving churches without called, equipped, and resourced church planters. That's what we do. We plant life. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or uh, in uh, one of the venues here at Long Point or on the Internet. Well, we're glad that you guys are along, too. Um, we, you know, we talk a lot about um, being a church that plants churches, and I wanted you to see kind of what goes on. It's kind of fun to see it, isn't it? And this week we had our art conference in Jacksonville, Florida, and it was just packed out, sold out, 3,000 uh, people people, lots of them have planted churches and others of them are going to plant churches and oh, it was so exciting and speakers, you know, a lot of our ARC speakers and Brian Houston from Hillsong in Australia and it was just an exciting, exciting, exciting time and so what I thought I would do is this weekend and then we're going to make a tradition of this, I'm going to bring in some of the guys that have planted out of this church and uh, just kind of update and share uh, what's going on. And, uh, you know, we, we have been, as you know, when you give at Seacoast, part of what you give goes to plant each one of these churches, every one of these churches. And then uh, we have been directly involved with uh, eight of them so far uh, with staff members that come from here, plus the first two uh, in, in High, uh, Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. They had 58,000 people at Easter uh, this year. And... New Life Church had 25,000 people at Easter uh, this year. These are churches that you guys planted, and we were the seed money uh, for starting that. And what we did is we gave them some resources, and then we said, we want you to pay it back when you can, but don't pay it to us. Pay it forward to planting new churches. And so we're still using that original money that we gave them from Seacoast to plant new churches all over America and around the world. Uh, But um, several of them have gone out from here. Uh, uh, Tim Lindsay. Uh, who uh, those of you who are not at the Long Point campus, you didn't get to see him. Uh, he kind of opened the service, Tim and Rebecca, and he's kind of energetic and enthusiastic. And uh, they planted um, the, the club church in Zurich, Switzerland uh, about six months ago. And they were our young adult directors here for about a year and a half. And then before them, Uh, Ernest Smith was the young adult director in fact Ernest and Sarah grew up in our church came to Christ as teenagers in our church and Then went away to college came back and worked in the middle school ministry and the high school ministry And finally in the college ministry was one of our teaching pastors on staff here And he came to me about three years ago I think and he said I think I want to plant a church and I said to him the same thing that I say to anybody who wants to plant a church It's really hard work if you, if you can do anything else in life, do it. But if you can't, go plant a church. And if you were to poll our church planters, they're all very excited about planting. When it, you know, oh, I'm going to do it. This is awesome. And you need to be excited. How have you know, anytime you start anything, you better be excited about it or you're just not going to have the energy, you know, that it takes to go through the hard days. But there are very few things in life that are harder than planting a church. And uh um, uh, the, our, our church planners who have done it will testify that that's, that's the truth. And Ernest, um, there are various places you can go in the United States that are either harder or easier to plant churches. Honestly, in the southeast here is one of the easiest places to plant churches. I mean, you know, you got more, you got more Baptists in South Carolina than you do have people, you know. And so, um, and, and so everybody's like, oh, I'll sign up for a new church, whatever. But you go you go to um, some place like Colorado, where I was raised, where Ernest wanted to go. It's totally different. Maybe five, maybe ten percent of the people on the weekend attend church. It's almost like going to Europe. It's a very very similar feeling. Ernest wanted to go to uh, Castle Rock, Colorado, and uh, we said okay. And he put together a great team. And uh, uh, about 15 months ago, I think they started the church in Castle Rock, Colorado. This Easter, they had over 1,000 people in attendance, which is just incredible. Absolutely incredible. And so I asked Ernest to come, give us a report, give us what Jesus is doing, challenge us. And uh, so here's what I want you to do. This is one of our sons coming home. This is a son of the house. I want you to give him a great big rousing. How about a spontaneous standing ovation for Ernest (laughs) as he comes and shares God's word. (laughs) Sit
1: down. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Well, welcome to Seacoast, I am so, so excited to be here. Want to thank, uh, welcome all of you at the various campuses, our friends there, we're so grateful to have you. And uh, in no way, shape or form am I as exciting as Tim Lindsay, who just got up here. So uh, he set the bar way too high for me. And, uh, but I'm just, we, our family, we are so blessed to be here and to see what God's doing and uh, to give a little bit of a report of what God's doing out in Castle Rock, Colorado. Uh, first, I want to just talk a little bit about the Ark. Uh, we had the, the big conference this week and uh, not only were thousands there, but I think the coolest part for me is there were hundreds of future church planners that were there, which is just so exciting because our nation is in desperate need of more Jesus, which means more church planners going and bringing Jesus to people. And so it was just awesome to be a part of. And and Pastor Greg would never take credit for this, but him uh, alongside uh, Pastor Billy Hornsby started the ark. And they just had a vision to plant life-giving churches all over the United States and all over the world. And Seekos, honestly, if it wasn't for you, I don't think that would have happened. If it wasn't for your generosity, if it wasn't for you serving well here, if it wasn't for you giving a a picture of what a healthy church can look like, uh, I don't know if we would be seeing as many church plants all around the nation and all around the world reaching people for Christ. And so I just simply want to say thank you. You guys are making a huge difference in so many cities and so many families' lives and so many individuals that you don't even know and you might not even meet until the other side of glory, but you are making a huge difference and I'm so grateful for you. I can only speak to our little church plant in Castle Rock, Colorado. Does anybody know where Castle Rock, Colorado is? Anybody? Okay, good. Eight of you. Awesome. Um, it's, a, it's a little teeny town right outside of Denver. It's just south of Denver. It's between Colorado Springs and, and Denver. And uh, my family and I, we moved there almost two years ago now. And we absolutely love it. Uh, we just uh, love the place that God has us and love what He's doing. Uh, we chose Colorado because it's one of the most unchurched places in the nation. In fact, a new report just came out this year said that we're the seventh most unchurched state in the nation, uh, which means that not a lot of people go to church. Uh, they say that on average, 5% of the people in Colorado go to a church on a weekend. So whether or not they claim an affiliation with Jesus or not, people just don't go to church for various reasons. And we actually picked the place because of that, because uh, we were excited about that opportunity to bring Jesus and bring some hope to a place that didn't have a lot of hope or a lot of Christ. And, and, uh, and you know, when you think of Charleston, uh, you think of all kinds of things. Uh, you think of, uh, when I think of Charleston, I think of beaches. I think of just amazing, amazing food. Uh, I, th- I think of a lot of churches. Like there's all kinds of things that you can describe Charleston with. But when you think of Denver or Colorado as a whole, people really only think of one thing. Especially the last like two years, it's pot. Um, yeah, you all said skiing. No, it's pot. That's what people think of. Uh, and The number one question that I get asked... Uh, when I go anywhere else, not the number one question that I get asked inside of Colorado, but anytime time I go outside of Colorado, number one question I get asked is, Ernest, what are you doing with the whole pot issue? And you know, it's a, that's a fair question. It's not a bad question. I mean, I'd rather talk about something else like, you know, how the Broncos are going to win the Super Bowl or, you know, how nice it is to live in a community that, uh, that doesn't have, you know, a Gamecock sticker on every other car, you know, something like that. <laughs> I'd rather talk about something else, but it's a fair question that people ask. And so we just, you know, said, when in Rome, you know, so we we created a response station with Doritos and uh, (laughs) Dazed and Confused quotes. Speaking, you got to reach the people somehow, right? Anything you can do to reach the people. That is, that's a joke for some of you, okay? You're a little too uptight. (laughs) We're just, we're seeing God do some incredible, incredible things. Uh, Pastor Greg mentioned uh, the the attendance. That's been so, so humbling uh, to see what God's done. But we've seen uh, about 150 people uh, make some type of commitment for Jesus Christ. And uh, that's just been unbelievable. Yeah, I think that deserves... And so we're seeing God do some incredible things. And uh, probably one of the coolest things that we're we're seeing as a church is, or that we hope to see as a church, we're launching a second campus uh, in the fall on the other side of the highway. So still staying in Castle Rock. Uh, And we're super excited about that, really nervous at the same time. You know, I I might be seeing you a lot more in like nine months as I like beg for a job back here. Um, But we just believe that God's going to do something unique and something mighty. And just a couple weeks ago we had a, uh, I was doing a message on baptism. And just kind of explaining the importance of baptism and, and what Christ has done in our lives and how we celebrate that with baptism. And, um, and we had a, a 19-year-old kid walk into our church. And uh, he told me, he said, I have been mad at God and haven't been to church, I think he said since he was about 13 years old. And uh, so at the end of the message, every week I give an opportunity for people to accept Christ. And uh, this kid looked up at me to receive Christ and then immediately went and got baptized. And I, mean, I thought we were in the book of Acts, you know, just seeing some cool stuff. And this is Jonathan. So it's just awesome to be a part of a church uh, very similar to Seco's. that's reaching people who are far from Christ. And uh, we're just seeing God do some amazing things in our town. And Seco's, I just simply want to say thank you. I mean, you guys uh, allowed me for many years to have room to grow here, uh, to grow in my faith, but also to grow uh, in my giftings and uh, how God's wired me, and you gave me a lot of grace in that and opportunities and, um, and your generosity, not just toward the ark and other church plants, but your generosity toward our church plant. There's no way, I can honestly say this, is no way that we would be seeing what we're seeing without Seacoast, and so thank you. You guys are such an amazing group that you may not even know me, you may not even know about Castle Rock, Colorado, but just you being a part of this church has radically impacted our small little community. And we're seeing lives radically changed for the glory of God because of you. So thank you, Seekos for all that you do. Uh, every, yeah. Every week uh, I pray uh, a similar prayer uh, every week during the week and then especially uh, driving to church and then right before our services. I, just, I pray this prayer, God, do something today, do something in our church that only you can get the credit for. Sometimes I'll mix it up a little bit. I'll say, God, flex your muscles today. I just want to see God do something that only he can do. I don't want to see what man can do. I know what I can do, and it's not a whole lot. I know what other people can do, and it's not a whole lot. We can't transform lives. We can't do a whole lot of of eternity things. And, uh, And so I want to see only what God can do. I want to see him do something so great, so powerful that we go, God, you're the only one that can get credit for this. And uh, praying that prayer reminds me of a story in Acts chapter 4 and, and chapter 3. And I know right now you guys are in a series called AD and you're kind of studying the, the, the history of the church, the early church, and what God did then. And I love studying the book of Acts. I love reading about the early church and, and how God not only did mighty, powerful things in the, the early church, but how God can still do those mighty powerful things in our towns, in our country, and in our world. That he's the same God back then, he's the same God now. And he can do powerful things. And so I love studying the early church to be reminded of that. And there's a story in Acts chapter 4 and 3 that we're going to look at. I'm going to set it up for you. In Acts chapter 3, you have Peter and John. They're kind of walking through Jerusalem, just kind of doing their thing. And they come across this guy. Really, we really only know two things about this guy. Number one, he's a paralytic. He hasn't been, over, been able to walk since he was born. And then number two, he's over 40 years old. We don't know exactly how old he is, but we know he's over 40 and he's a paralytic. And so he's sitting there and, and his job basically is to beg. Uh, he's just looking for money. And, you know, it's, it's one of those guys that you know the whole town knows. I mean, he's been there like his whole life. I mean, he, he hasn't been able to walk his whole life. And that's the only source of income. So everybody kind of knows this guy. And so Peter and John, they come walking by and the guy, the paralytic says, hey, Can you give me some money? And Peter says, we don't have silver and we don't have gold, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. Can you imagine being in that situation? Like just imagine being a bystander. Like you know this guy, you've probably walked by him before, dropped a few coins just because you felt bad for him. Like you know who this person is, you know that he's never walked before. And then all of a sudden these two guys come onto the scene. They don't lay hands on him, they don't pray for him, nothing like that. They don't anoint him with oil, anything. They just simply say, hey, we don't have any money, bro. But what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And the guy walks. You can imagine what the city is doing in this moment. And if you saw that, the city here would be just going crazy. People would be talking about all over and that's what's happening in Jerusalem. People are talking about this guy, did you see this miracle? Did you see what happened in this guy's life? All they did was say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the city is just in a stir in this moment. And most of the people are really excited, but some of the leaders are not. And not just leaders, but the religious leaders are not excited. I mean, you would think out of anybody in a city that the religious leaders would be excited about the fact that God just did a miracle. But they're the ones actually opposing the miracle. I mean, the people, the people, as they were watching this, they're coming to know Christ. I mean, the Bible tells us that after this day, after this miracle, that there were 5,000 men who were following Jesus. Now, just days before we see Pentecost and there were 3,000 people, men, women, and children who came to know Jesus in one day. Now there's 5,000 men. So that means in this one situation, this one miracle, this one instance that hundreds, maybe thousands of people place their faith in Jesus Christ because of this miracle. It must be exciting. But the religious leaders are not excited. And these are the same guys that just put Jesus to death. These are the same guys that just crucified Christ. They're not excited that Peter and John are out there proclaiming that Jesus still lives. In fact, we got a little uh, clip from the show AD that portrays this whole event and this situation. So take a look at this.
0: Tell us, in whose name Do you claim the cripple was healed? Let it be known to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Do you say the Nazarene himself healed him, not God? I say, he was healed by God in the name of Jesus Christ, whom God resurrected from death. You liars!
1: There was no healing, only deception. We know that this.
0: this miracle was nothing more than theater. With actors playing roles to falsely glorify their dead Nazarene.
1: So immediately following the healing, the religious leaders, they arrest Peter and John. They throw him in jail, and then the next day they start questioning him. And they're saying, "Hey, how did this happen?" They say it was only by the name of Jesus. It was only by the power of Jesus that this guy was healed. And they're like, "No, that can't be true. I mean, this this didn't even actually happen." And then the guy actually shows up and proves that hey, uh, he's still living and he's walking. This guy actually was healed. And so the religious leaders they have an issue, and that's kind of where we're gonna pick up with the story. It's Acts chapter four. We're gonna start in verse thirteen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. If not, no worries. It'll be up on the screen. But Acts chapter 4, right after the healing, right after they've, they're, in the process, or they're in the process now of being questioned about who created the healing. We read this starting in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Let's just stop right there for a second. I love this passage that we're studying. It's one of my favorite passages in the, entire, in the entire Bible. And I love this part because it says, When they realized that they were uneducated, just common men, they were astonished. And I think that's said about my life a whole lot. Like, when they realized that he was uneducated and just a common person, how in the world did she marry him? And when they realized that he was common and uneducated, how did he get a job at Seacoast? Like, I just, I'm like, yes, I'm right here. Thank you. It continues, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let's stop right there. Nine powerful words. Nine encouraging and challenging words. going read them again. And they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. I mean, what does that even mean? I mean, what did they recognize? How, did, how could they see these guys' lives, hear their testimony and say, oh, it looks like you've been with Jesus. I mean, this wasn't like Moses going on top of the mountain and he had an experience with God and he comes down and his like, face is shining. Like, there, there's no, nothing about their parents. Like, Jesus wasn't a hipster, so all of his followers didn't wear skinny jeans and have a frohawk, that type of thing. Like, like there's nothing about their parents that says, oh, you must have been with Jesus. So what was it? What was it about these guys that, based on their testimony, they would say, hey, they're uneducated and they're common. They're just regular dudes. There's nothing special about them but they've been with Jesus. I think it's just that. It's the fact that they were just common. They were uneducated. That there's no reason that they should have the boldness and the faith that they do in this moment. You see, they're sitting before the same council that crucified Jesus. Like, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting before the same council that crucified Jesus, I'm gonna be a little scared that if I talk about Jesus, they're gonna crucify me too. Like, why wouldn't they do the same exact thing to these guys that they did to Jesus? And yet there's a boldness there's a faith. There's a proclamation of who Christ is. Like there's something unique about these guys where they said, hey, it looks like you've been with Jesus. People took notice. And I think about my life and I wonder if, for me, if people, when people see my life, when they see my actions, when they hear my words, if they can say, I think he's been with Jesus. I mean, do I love others in such a way that it becomes clear that I have been with Jesus? Do I speak encouragingly about others, about other churches, about other people, about other ministries in such a way that they would say, I think he's been with Jesus? Do I care for and serve my neighbors in such a way that they can say about me, he's been with Jesus? Do I exhibit grace to my kids and to my wife in such a way that when others see it, that they would say, he's been with Jesus? Uh, we we uh, flew out here our last Sunday, and it had all the workings. The tr- this trip had all the workings of just like a terrible trip. You ever like plan for a trip, and you're just like, man, this is going to be bad. Like you get on the airplane, you get in the car, whatever, you're like, this is going to be a bad trip. It was one of those. Uh, that we, we had had a long day at church, had a, spoke a couple times, and we had our membership class. And then we got on the flight, and right after 5 p.m., we weren't getting here until midnight. And my daughter, who's three years old, she didn't have a nap. And if you're a parent of a 3-year-old, you're like, that's trouble in and of itself. Once we got on the plane, our tickets were broken up. And so we asked this lady to switch with one of my kids. And so uh, my wife and my two kids are sitting in the the row in front of me and I'm sitting in the middle seat, which is just awful. Like terrible. If you've never sat in the middle seat in an airplane, don't. Um, And so, you know, I'm just like, great, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be like one of those trips that just goes down in infamy for how upset I am. And so I'm just praying like, God, give me grace. God, give me mercy. God help me to, you know, just care for my family and exhibit grace to others around me, all of that. And, and so, you know, the, the whole trip, I'm just like trying to tell my daughter to sit down. You know, she's trying to crawl over the seat to get to me. You know, she's kicking the people in front of her, like everything. Like the kids, you're like, I don't want to sit near them. That was happening. And, and so I'm just like trying to say, hey, it's okay. And trying to calm them down and, and give grace to them as much as I possibly can. And then the lady, about halfway through the flight, the lady next to me says, so are you going home? And I thought, please don't talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an extrovert, so it takes a lot to get me to that place where I don't want to talk to people. And I was at that place. I'm like, please don't talk to me. I said, well, we're going to our hometown, but we live in Castle Rock, Colorado. And she said, oh, cool. And then she asked the question that no pastor wants to be asked. What do you do? I thought, great. All right, what kind of answer can I give her that will just like, Cease her, you know, like, like, not as a human, but like her mouth, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> so some of you are like, oh, you know, like, what kind of answer can I give that she won't ask me any more questions, you know? So I thought, okay, well, I could say, well, I work for an international organization, you know, it's actually kind of an intergalactic organization, you know, <laughs> I could tell her that one, you know, some of you will catch that later. Um, I could say, well, oh, I'm a motivational speaker, I could say, well, I'm a shepherd to sheep, you know, like, <laughs> What am I going to say that will like, you know, cease this conversation? And I thought, well, I'll just be honest with her. I said, I'm a pastor. And she said, I could tell. I thought, I don't even know what that means. Like, (laughs) is that good? Is that bad? Like when you live in Colorado, you don't know what people are going to say about you, you know, being a pastor. And I've had it all. And so I'm like, okay. And I said, how? And she said, I could tell by the way that you treated your family. I was like, that's the greatest compliment I could ever receive. Because what she's not saying, she's not saying I could tell you're a pastor based on how you treated your family. What she's saying is I could tell there's something different about you. You must be a follower of Jesus. What she's ultimately saying is, I could tell that you've been with Jesus. And you know, that's a cool little story. Like it's great to be able to share that like because it happened right before he came. So it's like, oh, that's awesome, but that's not normal. Okay, that's not my life every day. Like my neighbors, when they hear me yelling through the windows at my kids, like they're not saying, oh, you've been with Jesus. like, (laughs) you know, my. My coworkers, when I come in and I'm just grumpy and I'm hangry and all of that, like, they're like, oh, you've been with Jesus, you know. And when I want to like put my kids down at 5 p.m., they're not saying, you must have been with Jesus today, daddy. You know, so that's not always happening in my life, but shouldn't that be the goal? Shouldn't it be the goal that people would look at my life, they would see my actions, they would hear my words and say, there's something different about this guy. There's something so different that I think maybe he's been with Jesus. How about you? Can people say that about you today? It's pretty early in the morning, so it should be pretty easy at this point. (laughs) But by the end of the week, can people say, I think they've been with Jesus. If people look at your life, and we may not be the most educated, we may not be the best, the best looking or, or whatever, but may people look at our lives and because of the grace we display to others, because of the way we serve other people, the way we love others in our lives, those who are close to Jesus and far from Jesus, because of the way we interact with others and the words that come out of our mouths, do, do people say about us, I think they've been with Jesus. May that be said about you and I. May that be said about the person next to you and each person here, may people be able to say, I think you've been with Jesus. Your life is so different, so different than everybody else around that I think you've been with Jesus. Let's continue on with the story. Verse 14. It says this But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to lead the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. All right, so I got an idea, guys. We're just going gonna to threaten them. Like I know they just healed somebody in the name of Jesus, but we'll just threaten them. Maybe that will shut them up. Verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. All right, so guys, here's the deal. I mean, you're telling us not to do this, but you have to decide. Like, is it the right thing to listen to you or to listen to God? You can judge us on that one. Verse 20. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Like, there's no other option. Like, there's no other option. We have to tell others about what we've seen, about what we've heard, about our time with Jesus. We've got to share it. And then it continues, verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. I love this section of scripture because it simply reminds us of this truth, that God wants to do something so great that only he can get the credit for. I love this story because it just reminds us that God wants to do something so great, so powerful, that only he can get the credit for it. That he wants to do something so great in your life, so great in your ministry, so great in your family, so great in this community, so great in our nation, that only God, that no one else, not me, not anybody else can say, ah, that was me. But God wants to do something so great that only he can get the credit for it. Why? Because when God does something so powerful, so mighty, so great that only he gets the credit for it, two things happen. One, people come to know Jesus. People give their lives over to Jesus because they just realize, okay, this God is real and I want to be a part of this. And so people give their lives to Christ. I mean, I just told you earlier in this passage, it tells us that 5,000 men had come to know Christ now at this point. That means because of this one healing that hundreds or maybe thousands of people came to know Christ. He did something so big, so great, so powerful that it drew people to Jesus. And then the second thing that happens when God does something so big that only he can take the credit for it is it leads to people's hearts worshiping him. It leads to people praising God. Verse 21, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. God had done something so great, so powerful, nobody could take credit for it. And it drew people to Jesus. And then it allowed people to really praise and worship God. What has God done in your life, in your ministry, in your family that is so great that only He can take the credit for it? Let me say it another way. What are you praying for God to do? that is so great, so powerful, so crazy? Like, if you were to tell other people, you would just kind of feel like, uh, I don't even want to tell somebody because that just seems ridiculous. Like, God can't, can, can God do that? Like, that, no one else can do that. What are you praying for in your life? For some of you, maybe it's for healing. Maybe for your life or somebody else's life. Maybe you're praying for healing for somebody. And I know the doctors have told you, ah, it's useless. There's nothing else we can do at this point. But maybe, just maybe, God wants to take the credit. Is there somebody in your life, a neighbor, a family member, a friend that just seems too far from Jesus? That maybe God is challenging you to pray for them. Like I know, I mean, there's, there's no way they're coming to Christ. I mean, they're just like too far. Like you don't know them, Ernest. I know. But maybe, just maybe, God wants to do something so powerful, so mighty that when that person does come to Christ, that he's the only one that can take the credit for it. Are you praying for a faith move in your life that can only be God? Not like something small like read the Bible more or pray more. I mean, those are big things, but like those are small faith steps. But like something so big that if you were to tell your family, they would say, you're ridiculous. Like you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't move. You shouldn't give like that. You shouldn't do this. You should. What is it that God may be calling you to do? Are you praying for something so big, for God to do something so powerful in your life that only he, can get the credit for it. Yeah, that's kind of where I am as a leader right now, where we are as a church. As we've been processing and praying through this whole idea of starting another campus, it just, it kind of seems ridiculous. I mean, just to be real honest with you, like, besides the fact that there are a lot of lost people in where we're planting this campus, like, that's the only thing that makes sense. Everything else about planting a campus doesn't make sense. We don't have enough people. Like we need more drummers, we need more sound engineers, we need more bassists. I mean, we need like just people. We just need more people. So that doesn't make any sense. We've only been in existence for just over a year, so that doesn't make any, any sense. We're not there financially yet. 80% of our budget comes internally. That means 20% of our budget comes from churches like Secos. Like we can't even pay the bills on our own right now. And it's gonna cost us $250,000 to launch this campus. I don't know where that's coming from. But it excites me. It excites me because I believe that God wants to do something big and something powerful. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was, I was praying. Well, I was actually kind of whining to God. You ever, like, whined but then called it prayer? Uh, that's kind of what I was doing. And I was just kind of whining, like, God, why are you telling us to do this? Like, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. This, like... Doesn't make any sense, like nothing measures up. I'm gonna to have to call Pastor Josh and like beg for a job back at Seacoast. Like, you know, like nothing makes sense about this whole scenario. And then as clear as I've heard God speak to me, he said this, Ernest, when was the last time I asked you to step out in faith and it actually made sense? Oh well, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> like we don't have the people. We don't have the longevity as a church. We don't have the money, but like we have a God who's big, who's powerful. And he likes to show off. Like he likes to flex his muscles. He likes to say, hey, (laughs) Ernest, your strategy, whoo, that was bad. Like you couldn't do that on your own. (laughs) Everything that happened was only because of me. Like he likes to say that. He wants to say that. Because at the end of the day, that draws people to himself. And that creates a spirit of worship amongst the people. And so that's what we're believing. I can't wait. I can't wait to see where the people come from. I can't wait to see people who are in our church right now rising up and taking leadership positions when they thought, I would never do that. I can't wait to see what that, how that happens. I can't wait for people in our community that we've never met before, or even our neighbors who don't go to church who will step foot in our church for the first time. I can't wait to see where the people are going to come from. I can't wait to see where the money is going to come from. Huh, I really can't wait to see for that one. <laughs> I can't wait to see people who are, get, who are not giving in our church right now who are going to step up and, and experience the joy of generosity for the first time. I can't wait for people who are just giving a little bit in our church to kind of grow in that giving. I can't wait till complete strangers, even just walking around our town, coming up to me and saying, hey, we're going to write you a check for this church. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, I can't wait to see what God wants to do. Because I know this, I know that when God is in it and God is calling you to it, That it's going to be something so great, so powerful, that you can't take the credit from him. And that I can't take the credit from him. That only he gets the credit. And so, what are you praying for in your life for God to get the credit in? What are you praying to God for in your marriage for him to get the credit in? What are you praying for in your family, your neighborhood, your community? For only God to get the credit. God wants to do something powerful. He wants to do something great, something so amazing. And he's good. Like he's a good God. Like he wants to do good things. He wants to do good things in your life. He wants to do good things in your community. He wants to do good things in your family. And he's powerful enough to do it. I mean, he wants to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What are you asking for? What are you imagining God can do? Uh, whatever it is, just imagine he can do immeasurably more. Uh, just last night, I was driving here to Seacos and I was praying, God, just do something that only you can get the credit for tonight. I don't know what that means. Like, when I pray that prayer, I never know what that means, like what the results are going to be, and I was, God, just flex your muscles tonight, and so after the service, I'm standing there, and this guy, this 45-year-old man comes up to me, comes up with his wife and his kids, and he just starts weeping, and then his wife and his kids, they all start weeping, and just kind of shares his story with me, and... And kind of how far from God he is and all of that. And I said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ? And he said, no, I haven't. Let's start there. Like, would you like to do that? And he said, I would. And he's just weeping. And I got to pray with a 45-year-old man last night to accept Christ. Like, when I pray that prayer, God, do something only you can get credit for. I don't know what that means. But only God can transform a 45-year-old man's life. Only God can do what he did in that family last night. He flexed his muscles. And he wants to do that in your life. He wants to do that in this church. He wants to do that in Columbia and Asheville and Somerville and North Charleston and right here in Mount Pleasant, all the other areas. God wants to show off. Because when he does, people will be drawn to Jesus. People will place their faith in Christ, we will see many salvations. And then it will turn the hearts of the people to praise and to worship. Or we're not praising and worshiping other things, but we're praising and worshiping God and God alone. And then, just then, maybe, people will be able to look at your life and my life and say, I think they've been with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the history of the church that is not just history that you wrote one time, but it's what you're doing even now. That God, that you are the same God back then that you are now. That you are so powerful and so mighty. And God, the same transforming power that you had back then is the same transforming power that you have now. In our personal lives, in our cities, God, in our, in, in our states, God, and in our country. Father, we believe that you are a big, powerful God and that you are good. That you love us, that you care about us. And that God, you are powerful enough to do anything that you want to do. Father, I pray right now that we would be people that as others look at our lives and hear our words, that they would say, I think they've been with Jesus. There would be something so different about us. That it wouldn't be our politics. It wouldn't be our our past experiences. It wouldn't be our education. It wouldn't be our looks. It wouldn't be any of that. It would be, I think they've been with Jesus. Father, I pray for anybody in here right now who's never been with you, who's never come to you in faith, just like that man last night. But, Father, right now, maybe you're just prompting in their heart that, God, that their sin has separated them from you, that all of our sin has separated us from you, but in your goodness and your power, you came in flesh. And, Jesus, you lived the perfect life and then died on the cross for our sins. So that we can be forgiven, so that we can have new life. life. But you didn't stay dead on the cross, you rose from the dead. You showed your power and your victory over death and over sin. So that we no longer have to live captive to it. We can have forgiveness and truth in our lives. So Father, for anybody in here that doesn't know you, may today be the day that they come to you. Experience your love and your mercy and your grace in their lives. Father, for all of us, may we live out lives that would reflect you. And God, may we pray these big, crazy prayers. God, even this morning as I'm praying these prayers in my own home, just thinking this is crazy. This is, how can this happen? But you are a big, powerful God. And we believe in you and we trust in you to do what only you can get the credit for. And through that, may you draw people to yourself. And may we worship you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.